A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, so adult language is most likely going to be present. Just so you know. Hey friends, you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives. I'm Kevin Garcia. I'm thrilled you're here. Uh, I'm thrilled I'm queer and I'm actually drinking a beer right now because it's five o'clock somewhere and it's actually 7.03 where I am. (laughs) I hope that you're doing good. I hope your summer's going well. Um, I took a couple of weeks off from creative work because getting a little burnt out there for a second and uh, I'm coming. I'm so glad I decided to take a break. Uh, because now I'm, I'm really re- ready to get back into it. And I'm really excited because a whole semester of content creation overload really left me. Ooh, girl, it was, it was, it was a little rough, but I'm glad that we got through it. Thank you for your support through it. And thank you for, um, for loving me all the way. Like the, the notes of encouragement I've gotten recently have just been so great. So thank you for that. Speaking of notes of encouragement, um, I wanted to let you know that, uh, so coming up to our hundredth episode, uh, there's going to be episode 99. And episode 99 for me is going to be a very special one because I'm actually not going to talk all that much. I want to hear from you. I'm kind of borrowing a, not kind of, I am completely borrowing an idea from Matthias Roberts on Queerology. I want to hear uh, from you, the listeners, about how a tiny revolution has affected you, uh, done good for you, empowered you. What conversations did you love? What conversations challenged you? What conversations did you feel seen in? Um, and what how like what's your what's your life like uh, then versus like when you start first started listening to now uh i want to hear from you so just be on the lookout on my social media for a bunch of other stuff about this and you can tune in um i've got some really beautiful projects that i'm really excited to share with y'all soon so um be on the lookout for that and also speaking of my 100th episode episode 100 is going to be a live show at the wild goose festival so if you haven't already purchased your tickets for that you can go to wildgoosefestival.org register um my special guest for that is going to be the fabulous mike maharg aka science mike one half slash one fourth of the liturgist podcast uh, and a good friend of mine so i can't wait to see you out in hot springs so come hang out with us and let's dance the night away bb what else is going on Ooh, before that june 21st 22nd and 23rd in the los angeles area i am going to be a part of an amazing event called um, gloriously queer it's going to be like a little day and a half long retreat where you can come meet other queer christians other lgbtq christians and really just figure like we're about, we're about reclaiming, you know what I'm saying? And we want to reclaim our gloriously queer identities. Um, it's a it's a $100 ticket. Um, it's really, really affordable for like a little mini conference. Um, I'm going to be there. I'm also going to be selling search from... I'm also going to be selling merch from Queerly Beloved. So that's going to be dope. Um, so yeah, you can go to um, the link in the description uh, in the show notes and get tickets for that today. And I'll see you in just a couple weeks in LA. Third thing, um, speaking of Queerly Beloved, our t-shirt line has just launched our Pride collection. It is so effing cute, and there's only a limited supply for the first run, so if you want them, you better go get them right now. You can get it all at QueerlyBeloved.shop. We've got tank tops. we got crop tops. we got cute things. Girl, you ain't. Listen, just get in there. Get yourself something cute for Pride. And if you are wanting to order a whole bunch of shirts for your church 
events out there, I would love for you to just send us an email. There's a form on our website at queerlybeloved.shop. It says bulk orders. Um, let us know. We'll print your logo of your church on the back so that when you're marching in the Pride Parade, people are like, oh my God, I want to go to that church that's wearing a love shirt that has like the love the sin or hate the sin but it's crossed out if you haven't looked at our catalog what are you doing stop what you're doing right now turn off this podcast and go to queerlybeloved.shop get it there and um enjoy it also by the way you can get 10 percent off instantly when you subscribe to our newsletter so why don't you like go do that okay oh anyways uh all right let's go ahead and get into who we're talking with today it is my friend um and we had this conversation a long while back but it was so good and i'm so glad i'm getting to share it with you it's my friend the incomparable bianca mabute louis i think i pronounced that correctly so let me know if i didn't bianca um so just a little bit about her Bianca Mabute Louis' work is grounded in her commitment to build brave spaces of imagination, healing, and transformation as interventions to injustice and violence. She does this by working in mutual partnership, cultivating leadership, and uplifting the narratives of the youths and women of color and queer communities in sacred, secular, and academic spaces. With nearly a decade of experience as a minister, organizer, youth advocate, researcher, and ethnic studies educator, she works to disrupt justice, build community, and instigate hope. Now that is a damn bio if I do say so myself and I do say so myself. Through her research, writing, and speaking, she strives to expand our imaginations of belonging, spirituality, and identity. I am so pleased to have her on. So please join me in welcoming, through whatever means necessary, wherever you are, please join me in welcoming the fantastic Bianca Mabute Louis. People who don't know what a badass you are, could you give me like your... uh... You're at a cocktail party and someone says, oh my God, what do you do? And you would say to them. I like the cocktail party. Sorry, I'm still on the cocktail party bit. Um, okay, but my- well, yeah, because like, you know, because like, I, I feel like it's like a lot easier than saying like, so like, what's your deal? Because like, yeah, that's a really yeah. open-ended question. So yeah. I'm, okay, start, so- start more general here. I've, I've done a variety of different things. I'll start with what I'm up to right now. Um, I am a youth organizer. I work with high schoolers. Um, on violence prevention programs, specifically domestic violence and gender-based violence prevention programming. Um, and with that involves me also teaching a class, a women of color ethnic studies class with high schoolers, sophomores, and juniors. Wow. Um, That's dope. Thanks. It's fun and it's challenging. <laughs> um, my background yeah, has been in a bunch of different things in ministry. I uh, used to work for InterVarsity. I did that for a bunch of years. Um Wow. I got my master's in Asian American studies and did spent a few years doing research on queer API Christians. Um, and then eventually I want to get my PhD, but I think for right now, I just want to spend more time in the community, doing more grassroots work, uh, working with youth and just regaining my sense of sanity from everything the last few years. Oh, uh, yeah. For academia again. So, yeah. Yeah. I That's something that... I love Oakland. Um, that's part of my bit too, I guess. You it's love like, Oakland. I've been in the Bay for the last ten years. So that's brilliant. If I if I end up anywhere else besides the South, it's either going to be um, Austin or um, or that area. I think. Yeah, great places. Have you come to visit before? Um, I've, I've been more down in the LA area, like LA Pasadena, um, cool. Laguna area. Cause they have a mm-hmm. lot of buddies down there and people mm-hmm. who do really dope work. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I don't know, but like I just have like this kind of like for better or for worse attitude with the South. It's just like mm-hmm. I love you. You're like the shittiest place in the country to live. But like I, for better or for worse. Yeah. Did you grow up in Atlanta? Not in Atlanta. I grew up in Clarksville, Tennessee, but really it was like Woodlawn, which is like the boonies and country as fuck. Okay. It's great. Like two and a half acres of land. Um, you know, we had a dog. Wow. You know, we lived next to a goat farm. I was just going to ask, were there other animals, other farm animals? on that? Yeah, they weren't, they weren't our goats, but like we often like went down there and like hung out with them because they were cute as shit. Yeah, I can imagine. Cool. Although, although like when we started gardening they tried to get through and eat my mother's cabbage and they got their heads stuck in the oh no that sounds very unfortunate. also really annoying <laughs> yeah and also really sad because i'm just like oh my gosh i have to go tell your uh farmer owner oh they would get stuck you said they would get stuck Aww. and like we couldn't get them out so like a lot of them had like a piece of uh like a metal pole or something that would be, like, be between their their horns so they couldn't get through oh the actual God. fence itself Aww. so it looked like they were just walking around with big old triangles on their head oh wow it was that cute that and cute so that is a childhood story i've never told to anyone so i hope <laughs> you enjoyed it i did um okay so turning the spotlight back to you bringing it back to number one um because you are fantastic i can't remember like if i like dm'd you like wanting to like talk about anything specific or if I just like wanted to know more about you in general, because I find you to be so fascinating. Oh, thank you. I think you DM'd me after I had posted something about toxic men, which is often my yeah. favorite subject to talk about. Um, mm, let's go there. Example, I feel like we've crossed paths a bunch of times and have a lot of mutual friends and circles. So yeah, this like- is actually something um, me and my friend uh, we're talking about the other day and we're actually going to do another podcast on this about uh, toxic masculinity versus like a positive masculine, positive, healthy masculinity. Mm. And what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, because he is like, you know, white cis straight dude. Who's like very much like a dude, but he's also mm-hmm. like very like socially conscious. Like he's like in everything he does, he embodies a good ally, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, like, the thing that he says, like, he says, I see it on Twitter all the time. It's just, like, uh, people people hate white men. Mm-hmm. And they hate white cis straight men. And, and he's, like, he's, like, and I get it. I know, like, what people like me do. But yeah. it also, like, really sucks because, like, I don't want to. It's almost just, like, in order for me to not be that, I have to despise my own masculinity. Mm. Um. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think that's because it's like, he doesn't see the separation between toxic masculinity and himself. And I wonder if like, there's something around like the way we talk about it that needs to be reframed in order yeah. to say that there is a healthy way to be a man. Right, right, right. And the answer isn't no masculinity, but how do we have a productive conversation on how it would be healthy mm-hmm. and empowering for other people? Interesting. Right. Yeah. So what about you? What do you like, like what does healthy masculinity look like from your perspective? Hmm. I feel like it's, that's a hard question, right? And is the essence of what we were just talking about. And you were talking mm-hmm. about with your friend. I feel like I have tons of examples of unhealthy. <laughs> okay. You can start there if you want to. Okay. I feel like there's a, there's a lot we can talk about, but I think what gets me the most is specifically in social justice spaces in mm. um, community organizing spaces in Christian quote, like woke spaces that where, mm. I don't know if it's also being particular to being in the Bay area where there's a lot of 
men and people who claim to have a certain politic and values, but then in practice are the opposite. And right. I think that, of course, we're multidimensional and um, we're all on a journey, right? But it's the consequences are hard because I don't know. I, I'm so one example, right? And I think this is why I, I tweeted that in the first place was um, just all the stories of women who are in my field and my work doing community organizing or youth organizing or domestic violence prevention who have come out to share with me or other women saying that they've been assaulted or abused by men who we work with in this work. Um, mm. And the fact that when we hold them accountable, a lot of times, maybe these men have a strong history or a presence in the community. They've been really powerful leaders. Um, and so they're not held accountable or people mm. don't believe them. And so I think that's really tricky because that's kind of like a, it's one thing to say, I don't know, obviously the current, person in power is a talking man, right? But it's another thing. The administration, the incident. Right, 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 all of that. But it's another thing when it's coming from your own, from your own community who claims mm -hmm. to be ride or die for you, who claims to be working on the same issues as mm -hmm. you. To um, claim to be intersectional. Right, 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 all of that. And it sucks when like the cost of doing work that you care about means coexisting with your abuser, for example. Um, mm, yeah. And so I think that's really shitty but and that's more of like a that's a more intense example I think but then there's also just everyday stuff of people feeling entitled to your labor and to your work and um taking your work and pretending it's their own and taking your ideas mm -hmm. typical I mean like it's typical but it gets exhausting and I think just the double not the double stand what am I saying the hypocrisy of it when you're in an organization or in a space where every day they claim to like uphold these values that that part is like another layer of just mm -hmm. tiredness that just real tired yeah that a lot of people feel yeah so and that i think like kind of just reinforces like the, the idea that just like they kind of embody the, what we think is wrong with masculinity or just like what like example of toxic masculinity yeah um, at its finest and i think maybe there's just like for so many people who, uh, or maybe just like, you know, white cis men who like, there's, because there are so many great white cis dudes um, that, I don't know if that's a true statement, actually. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, do I know that? I don't yeah. actually know that. Yeah. It's like a white person. I haven't seen one in days. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I, I think like, uh, me and Sue Ann were actually talking about this. Mm -hmm. I haven't name dropped Sue Ann in a while, so this is a good thing. <laughs> I always like talk about just like my friend Sue Ann doing this, and I've mentioned it. I mentioned to it her all the time, and now she's probably listening to this and is giddy that hey, is a conversation with you, <laughs> hey, Sue Ann. Um, but like, no Siri, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> um, but um. Cause like she like always talk, like she brought up just like, what does it look like to be like, what does healthy masculinity look like? And she always pointed, pointed to Jesus, like Jesus exemplified healthy masculinity. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's just a, like a really interesting. Out. Oh, am I still, can you hear, can yeah. you hear me? Yes. I can hear your beautiful voice now. Okay, good. Um, but yeah. I don't, I don't know, even know how to begin that kind of conversation because like they're so 
or maybe it's one of those things where just like maybe like if we're gonna like the people who want to talk about toxic masculinity like are the people who I don't know because I think like for example someone like me I don't know if I can like walk into like a group full of like dude bros and talk about toxic masculinity because they're gonna look at me and they're just gonna be like this dude yeah yeah yeah. like Mm -hmm. like and like they would like I don't have their respect but like you know someone like my friend Micah who Mm -hmm. is uh a dude bro Mm -hmm. and can relate to people and is still sensitive and kind and loving and you know conscious like I feel like he's the person who has to say like hey like this is the reality of like people who fit into our demographic and this is why we need to start having conversations with each other about this yeah yeah it's like how do we um normalize that those conversations or how do we normalize for the dude bros like michael right and those like him to interrupt when misogynist things do Mm -hmm. happen because i feel like i don't know it's I feel like I know I know a lot of healthy men who are aware of their feelings and are self-aware of the privilege they hold, but it's just not normalized in culture to call each other out sometimes. And I don't know if this is maybe in a more Asian American context or even like this really insular, sometimes community organizing context where, I don't know, loyalty, it feels like if you call someone out on that. I don't know. There's this weird like loyalty to this weird mm-hmm. bro pact or whatever they have with each other. Interesting. That. Yeah. I mean, that sounds really because like I know like at least like from like uh you know queer Christian organizing side, that's a true statement. Like there's like right. it's there's there's always like this weird infighting thing that happens sometimes, and I'm yeah. like, y'all like we don't have time for this. Yeah. yeah. It's just so interesting. That's yeah. actually something I did. Uh, I did a leadership. Uh, cohort through Union Seminary. Um, so it was like a bunch of oh, faith yeah. organizers from across the country. The Summer Millennial? Yeah. Yeah, Millennial yeah, Leaders, yeah. yeah, Millennial Leaders Project. Mm-hmm. Um, and shit, what were we just talking about before that? <laughs> my mind has been so, like, my brain has been so scattered recently. I don't, I don't know what's going calling on. Calling each other out? Ah, that, yeah, that. Um, mm-hmm. um, there's this thing about just like how like just like how like who else like experiences like in their communities like everyone's talking shit about each other right and i'm like i i can't i don't want to be that person and i don't want to be it's like and it's it's another thing also just like i don't ever want to be loyal to one singular organization or one particular leader mm-hmm. because like it can't be about them yeah And I think like once organizations or movements get wrapped up in personalities, like it loses all, all momentum. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of the CCDA stuff that was happening. Like, yeah, I actually don't know the the full T on that. Can can you give me some context? I can give you the partial T from what I've seen like on Twitter, but I'm, I haven't been involved in CCDA, but I know a bunch of people who have, but Mm -hmm. from what I understand, I'm probably going to misrepresent. So that's my disclaimer. Um, what I understand is that a bunch of folks have had, uh, really problematic, abusive conversations and interactions with their C with their ED, um, Mm -hmm. for many, many years. And so some folks came out and wrote their full stories, mostly women of color, I believe who came out with their stories asking for their ED to be terminated and asking for, I think like, um accountability and reconciliation with the board 
Mm-hmm. That's what I understand it to be as someone who isn't and wasn't part of CCDA. Um, and it sounds like in the stories that I read that these complaints and these um, testimonies have been coming out for the last 10 years or so, but the board and other members of CCDA had, like you said, felt so, I guess, loyal to their ED Noel that mm-hmm. they either like straight up lied and dismissed um, these women's stories, or they would just err on the side of, oh, you're exaggerating and Noel mm-hmm. wouldn't do that. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Hashtag times up, bitch. Right? (laughs) Yeah, but I do want to say it's interesting for me um, talking to youth about these issues Mm because I do work with a lot of young men, um, all young men of color, uh, on deconstructing their understandings of gender and what it means to take up space and step up and step back and all this stuff. And it's just, it's interesting, like... It's just interesting seeing how how flexible they can be, but also how rigid they are um, mm-hmm. in terms of yeah. things like gender norms and how they can be open to one thing, but completely closed off about another thing, right? Or, yeah. or not even see how what they're doing could be seen as toxic. Um, mm-hmm. So that's been interesting because I think it's cool that in my domestic violence prevention program, I have a bunch of young men who are part of it um, and who are committed to the cause. Um, mm. And at the same time, we're all unlearning and learning how to be just better people in general and mm-hmm. unlearning the socialization that comes with, this is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to share or not share your feelings. And those more mm. subtle things can be a lot to to work with, but is exciting when you have a space where people, young people at least are committed and curious. Yeah. Yeah. And you're in what city again? I'm in Oakland. That's right, Oakland. Mm-hmm. That is so dope. How so? How did you find your way into working with youth from like being in academia? Yeah, so I was uh, lecturing before that, and it was just really unstable, which is a whole other issue to get into because um, mm-hmm. lectures have no rights. But oh, God. so how it started was I just needed something more stable, right? And so I found this organization that does work um, with youth on leadership development, which is something I had done before. Um, And their specific project was on preventing gender-based violence and domestic violence. And I had no experience in that work. I had never studied like cycles of violence, et cetera, et cetera. But that's something that me and my community and people who are close to me in my life have experienced in one way or another. So um, I felt like, yeah, obviously I care about those things. And that's how I got into it. And I think the the passion has, um, or it's grown from more of like an interest and personal experience thing to now a um, more of like a professional outlet and professional passion too to work with youth on these issues. Um, but I'm still very new to working with high schoolers. Most of my experience have been with older millennials or college age students. And so I'm still learning a lot on how to talk to and work with youth and i'm because youth are so scary they're scary they're sassy and (laughs) they're not afraid to tell you how what it is because like you're not going to see them in four years anyway so Right. Right, right right yeah but it's been humbling um yeah and i think i i think i'm always like wow i'm so impressed that you're so committed to this or that you're so articulate about this but recently some of 
my youth called me out and was like, stop being impressed. Like, this is just how we are. Was, you know, what were your expectations of us before, you know? So that's been a good wake, a big wake up call for me to just, um, and I think in any kind of leadership or ministry or educational role to really not get in the way of the people that you're serving and working with. Mm -hmm. And your job is to bring out their light and let them shine. Um, And a lot of how you do that is, and how a lot of what influences that is the kind of expectations you come in with. Right. Yeah. That's real. That's again, real talk. (laughs) Real talk, true tea. Yes. True tea. I think like, I remember like when I was working with um, my youth group kids back when I was Mm -hmm. in college and I remember actually thinking the same thing. I'm just like, wow, like you guys are so like insightful. You're so like, mm-hmm. you, you get it. Like it's just clicking with you. Yeah. And I think that was something that I was missing. I didn't see it as like, oh, they have, they're growing up in a generation uh, that's A, got news on their phone all the time. So they're never yeah. not on. But then also that has, because of that, has had let, been exposed to such a plethora of ideologies that I never got when I was a kid. Yeah. Like I never I never had the opportunity to form my own politic. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I keep comparing my experience to theirs and I'm realizing it's just not comparable. One because so I was vastly different. Right. Cause one, because I was kind of a shithead in high school. But two, like when you're saying the access to information, it's just completely different. So I'm learning how much I do not know about this current generation. Yeah, you know, that's the stinking truth. I mean, like, if they're getting more like politically woke in Teen Vogue, yeah. Like, why? Why yeah. is Teen Vogue is literally like a young feminist, like radical? We're literally about to take over the state. Yes. Like, I feel like that's where like the true information is being passed through to the rebel forces. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, well. With Teen Vogue. <laughs> now, now <laughs> they'll only hire me to write for them. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um. So um, you are a, how do you identify? Like, is it like sexual I, orientation? Yeah. Is it? yeah, yeah, yeah. If that's okay I for identify, me to ask. No, please. <laughs> um, I identify as queer. Um, people sometimes don't know what that means or they're like, but you're married to a man. So how? Um, and so then I'll, if they ask and if I feel comfortable with them, Um, I'll share a little bit more that I identify as bisexual. Um, And so, but for me, I think queer, and I think this is for a lot of people too, feels more comfortable because it's a term that's more expansive, right? And um, and also at the same time, I'm wanting to not be so afraid of the the word bisexual um, because there is a lot of, I feel like stigma attached to it. There's a lot of erasure attached to it. Mm -hmm. So I want to, I want to grow more comfortable in identifying and using that term for myself too. Mm. Yeah. Like that for me is something that I've thought about a lot for myself too, Mm -hmm. where I want to be more okay with saying that I'm bisexual. Yeah. Um, And I think what, cause like what's interesting though, is like, cause like I've got all this like weird gender stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So like, (laughs) depending. yeah, weird and wonderful gender (laughs) stuff. So it's like, it just depends on the day. Like, you know, am I a woman? Am I a lady today? Or am I a dude today? Mm-hmm. And honestly, it just kind of like, it's all over the place. And mm-hmm. it just kind of fluctuates from one to another. So it's like, to be, uh, you know, saying bisexual means I'm attracted to genders like my own and also not like my own. I'm just like, right. I'm like my gender is moving around all the time. Yeah. 
and so like that's like the question it's like it feels less like a less like a spectrum and more like a cosmos oh yeah i like that like because, yeah because so, yeah, only from one end to the other where in reality it's not just two ends it's multifaceted mm-hmm. yeah so and I, when people ask you say what so how do you identify when people ask you to my family, I'm Kevin, the gay son slash gay uncle. Because um, uh, that's what they can understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, if I'm ever wearing, like, nail polish or makeup, they see me as a, a gay man who is wearing makeup and nail polish because he's gay. And that's what gay people do. Um, right. They don't see me as, Kevin, you are, you know, gender fluid or gender queer. You know, that you're not a man or a woman. You're kind of somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. And sometimes one, sometimes neither. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they, they don't see it as, like, an ex- extension of me. Mm. Uh, or, like, an, an expression of the actual me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess, like, because I think queer works for me both on, like, the, the gender side and on the, the sexual orientation side. And I like to see them both like in tandem. Yeah. And so I guess that's why I prefer the term queer because like it encapsulates all of it. Right. 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 Um, but then again, it's also, I also think about the stigma around the word bisexual. And I wonder if like subconsciously I am saying all of this like grandiose explanation because I'm afraid of the word bisexual. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like, and also queer, there's, um, I feel like there's a political aspect to the term too, in, in that it is something that is reclaimed um, and pushed forward by a lot of queer, non-binary folks of color as a term that is liberatory. And I'm like, yeah, I can get behind that, but I less want to explain being bisexual and whatever judgments or preconnotations you have attached to that word. Um, where words are supposed to be freeing. So mm. I don't know. Yeah. And I, and like, I don't even like, like think like there's a right or a wrong right. to it, which is, and I guess what's so interesting is like that kind of like in-betweenness like makes me so uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, almost as, co- as uncomfortable as my own gender sometimes, which is, so interesting like i'm like i'm so afraid of for someone like who like identifies as like genderqueer or non-binary yeah i'm so afraid of the in-between space in so many things Hmm. like what do you mean like um a lot of my anxiety sometimes flares up around like how i'm presenting Mm -hmm. so i won't wear something enough because i don't think i will look feminine enough in it Mm. um and i don't think it'll look good because I'm very much worried about how other people perceive me mm-hmm. um, at my worst. Um, at my best, I don't give a shit about right. anybody. Right, right, um, But yeah, so just like when I like there, there's sees, you know, we all go through cycles. It's, it's less often now that I'm getting more bold. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, uh, yeah, it's that, it's that in between of just like, I don't want to do this because I'm, I think about it with like makeup sometimes, like when I'm doing my face, I'm just like, man, what if I just shaved off and like tried to like really femme it up, like yeah, shave the beard Yeah. or, but then, and then, but then I'm also afraid. I'm just like, but the thing is just like, even with that, I'm not going to pass. And the mm. guy is not going to want Thank to you. date me, look at me. They're not going to think I'm attractive. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, it's weird. And I think that's probably also tied up in, you know, toxic masculinity shit. Sure. Yeah. It makes sense though, right? Because our culture loves to categorize people and is afraid of the in-between or the ambiguity, Mm. even though a lot of beautiful things are ambiguous and are hard to define. Yeah. The, also the social pressure of like because people want to want to know or feel entitled to know like what are you or who are you and so it makes what, sense that what's in your pants exactly <laughs> makes sense that it would be scary yeah yeah okay full disclosure i'm in my kitchen um, um <laughs> marinating a chicken Ooh. That's, why, that's why i sound far away from you give me just a second <laughs> no gotta prepare that chicken because I am so excited making bro- I'm making orange chicken. Oh, okay. With sesame seeds. Ooh. And um, I just had to get the sauce on there. That's important. It's important because it needs to sit and actually soak in the flavors. So. And also, I found out when I was watching uh, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Oh, so chicken good. needs to be room temperature. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Look, changing lives up in this bitch. Yep. Every meal I have, I'm now thinking about what is acid and what acid is missing. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so serious. I'm on the same boat. Yeah. Like, it's just like, like this meal right here. I'm just like, okay, so I have the salt. I'm putting that on the chicken. You got the orange. Yeah. And the orange, we got the citrus, the acid. (laughs) Fat's coming from the chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, and a little bit of butter that I'm going to put with the broccoli nice. and um, heat, you know, add a little bit of red pepper flakes on there yeah. and then apply, you know, sear it on, on the pan and then put it in the oven at 425. That sounds great. I'm coming over. <laughs> great. Can't wait for you to come over. Welcome to our <laughs> cooking show, everyone. This is what we really <laughs> came here for. Yeah. Um, sorry. What were we talking about a moment ago? I don't remember. I don't even care. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. You're being queer. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Um, you know, that little thing. Yeah. Um, so uh, I I do, if if I may ask, can I ask about your marriage a little yeah. bit? Yeah, Mostly yeah. just about, like, um, being, you know, a queer, uh, a bisexual woman in a relationship with a man. Like, I know I have a few friends who are, like, in the same boat. They are, you know either bisexual men married to women or bisexual women married to men. Yeah. Um, and so like, there's all, there's a lot of conversation around like what it looks like to be a queer couple. Yeah. Um, and like, what like where one partner is, I, I think your husband is straight. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. He is. So it's like, you know, it's like, uh, what's been the experience around that? Has it been weird yeah. to like have to navigate, have to navigate those things like within friendship circles or like around mm-hmm. like, again, like bisexual stigma and bi-visibility within uh, those kinds of relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, so it was interesting because it was, so I have to go back, back in time, but. Back um, again. But so it was always something that I had known about myself that I was not just heterosexual, but that the way I experienced attraction was more fluid, that I had had crushes on guys and girls. but I didn't actually come out to myself until after we were in a relationship. And it was because of the whole inter-varsity stuff that happened. Um, they had 
come out with a really clear and rigid policy that they were not affirming. And at the time I was on staff and it forced me to um, really confront not only what do I believe about this, but how do I identify and how am I going to identify coming forward? And so all of that kind of put me, and he was working for InterVarsity at the same time too. It put us wow. in this mode, um, one in terms of our jobs, but for me more personally too, like how, what, what does this mean for me, right? And so in that time, God really um, brought me to a place of coming out being a step of spiritual obedience and faithfulness that I believe mm-hmm. that this is how God made me, that this is part of my story and fluidity is part of who God is too. Right. Um, and so it was in that crisis mode, I came out to a few friends and my partner. Um, and so we had to navigate, what does this mean for our relationship? And then there was everything happening around, what does this mean for our entire spiritual community and our vocation that we thought we were going to be part of for a long time, right? Right. Um, and so I feel like having to navigate all of those questions and all of those relationships um, and questions from people um, really was a very intense time, but it helped us. It put to the forefront just a lot of what you're talking about. Like, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for me? Um, And honestly, what helped a lot was me going to counseling personally and then us going to counseling together um, and Mm. having a, a space, a facilitated space with a mediator. Not that we were like constantly in conflict, but just, you know, having a third person there to ask yeah. questions and to facilitate those hard questions. And um, also just like clarify what y'all both mean, because sometimes we talk yeah. around each other by accident, especially with those we're closest to. Yes, all the time, because we want to protect ourselves or we want to protect the other person. Um, and so in that time, I really clarified for myself what I needed to um, feel known and seen as a queer woman and also within the context of our relationship. Right. And so what, and then, so what that looked like for me was, um, through kind of my intellectual pursuits of in academia and doing the research that I did, but also in my friendships, um, in the circles that I joined and put myself in, I was just surrounded by other queer, um, people of color at the time and who held my story and held kind of the complexity of what I was going through with as something that was sacred and important um, because that was just something I was not getting from my Christian community. Um, And so I needed that space and time to just kind of heal and come into myself um, and to know that like, I think there was a temptation and there was the lie in the back of my head. Like, why do you need to do this? You can be, an advocate, you can stand up for what you believe in in university without bringing yourself into this, but then that would just feel inauthentic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also I'm a four on the Enneagram, so that's always the Yo, most. Oh, yes. Are you a four too? Oh, absolutely not. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, I thought you were in this excitement. But anyway, no, so no, the- no. I just, I just love fours. I think they're the most interesting people. Really? I feel like. Oh. We're so angsty. Um, oh, you are. Like, that's the thing. <laughs> like, that's why. That's, that's what I like about it. I'm like, I'm attracted to um, the drama. Oh, yes. Well, I got the plenty of for you. <laughs> the drama con flama. Sorry, keep going. Um, but yeah, so that was the most important thing to me because I, yeah, I could be um, like a support, right? I could be an ally, but that wasn't me. 
And that wasn't my experience. And so the most important thing to me was to be authentic in all of my relationships and in my activism. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, that authenticity is activism in itself. Yes. In itself, in my relationships. So, um, yeah, it was honestly just a lot of community and mental health resources and really supportive people around me um, who I feel like brought me to a place where I feel confident saying like, this is who I am. I am a queer woman and this is my relationship. And for some that's cognitive dissonance. And so you go work on that. But for people who matter in my life, like they get it, they understand, they're not going to question me. They're not going to doubt whether I belong Mm -hmm. in this queer space or not. Um, And honestly, a lot of that was as I was kind of recreating my life in communities, being really unapologetic, and kind of, I think, loud about this is who I am because I mm-hmm. was so afraid of this part being erased. Um, right, 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 right. And so I remember like we had joined a new church and the we do this thing at our church called Story Sunday where like once a quarter people, mostly new people from the congregation can come and just share their story. And I chose to use that time to share how I came out to my parents because I felt like, you know, I'm joining a new community. People see me and Jeff as a unit. We're coming as a couple together. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm going to be part of this community, I need them to know, like, this is part of the complexity I bring. Mm -hmm. And this is how I'm going to navigate this space and this community with you moving forward. Um, And so I, yeah, I chose to use my, the, you know, the small platforms I did have and um, chose to be as transparent as possible Mm -hmm. in that time. And I don't know if that answered the question, but <laughs> no, it was lovely. And I think something like you said, like stirred something in me. It was like being authentic in advocacy work and in activism, um, and uh, you know, authenticity being activism itself. I would say that's also like really good religion. That's like really good spiritual practice is mm-hmm. choosing into that fully authentic self. Like no matter like who is going to have the space to hold it just like being yourself in the world. Yeah. I actually remember like when I, um, when I, uh, finally was it coming out to myself, I was tell I told my mentor at the time, I said like, I'm, I'm gay and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm, and I'm, I want to do this. I can't not be gay anymore. Mm-hmm. And he said, great. I'm just really happy that you're okay. Like mm-hmm. that's like one of the world's like, that's like the hardest thing in the world is to yeah. find that I'm okay. Yeah. And so like, it's just like, you know, like when like the, like the gift of authenticity, like it's, a, it is a ministry, it is advocacy, yeah. it is courage and bravery. And like, and like, you know, like people change because they experience something and people yeah. change because they experience someone. Yeah. And so I feel like, I mean, even if that's like, maybe that's everyone's ministry. See, now I think I'm a Christian again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It's okay. The that question, you know, it changes every day whether I'm a Christian or not. <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, I know who I am in the Lord and how I am with God, but everything else, you know. Oh We're- yeah. I like everyone's just like just like aren't true. Like I told told my friend the other day, I called him up. I was just like, Yeah, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. And he's like, <laughs> he got really, really concerned because um he still believes in hell. So <laughs> I was like, oh, like, I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of that. Like, yeah. I'm really not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I think Jesus is cool. Maybe he's the son of God. Maybe he's not. Who can say? Yeah. You know, maybe. Sure. Yeah. Sure. That's my answer. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? Sure. Yeah. I <laughs> sure mean, I do. 
Yeah, I feel you like, and I don't need to know either. And I think that that's another gift of queerness to spirituality is yeah it's the cosmos like you said it's not a spectrum of you're in or you're out or you need to know or you don't know like we just don't know and we're figuring it out and it's okay to be fluid in our beliefs yeah i sometimes think about like how interesting is it that like you know we are on this very particular planet at this very particular time like this moment in the universe when like and in comparison to the this earth, we are so small. And then right. in comparison to this universe, we are so tiny. Mm-hmm. And then like you just keep going out, out, and out. And I'm just like, and somehow in the midst of all this, and we don't know about any other light life in like the next, you know, few billion light years. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I'm I just like I think about that and I'm just like, that is it an accident? Are we a happy accident? Who can say? Yeah. But how interesting that it is that I have the consciousness to actually have this conversation about this thought, this really ethereal thought or idea. Yeah. This is how I get sometimes. I just get like real existential real quick. (laughs) You went somewhere into the cosmos. I really did. Like you painted a picture for me and I was just like, was floating. (laughs) I actually, have you ever done a past life regression? No. Can you explain so it's a form of hypnosis where um, the person, as they're working with you, they're basically asking your spirit to show you like what you experienced in past lives. Like mm. maybe you have like a, an irrational fear in this life or just like you have some issue that you're working through. They say that like um, what karma actually is, is you experiencing the same thing again and again until you learn the lesson you're supposed to learn. And sometimes it can take lifetimes to learn it. Right, and so um, I uh, I did one, and it and I I see it as one of two things. Either a, it can be just like my subconscious is, you know, creating a picture for me to work something out, mm-hmm. um, or I really am looking into my past life, and maybe that's the thing. Who can say? Yeah. Uh, but either way, it was really really cool. And what was interesting is like in this vision, I saw like, um while I'm like basically under hypnosis, uh, I basically was a, a guy like in like turn to like the industrial revolution, London, apparently my name was Thomas and I died because I drowned in a river. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know why I just got into that tangent. Just then. Oh, it's because like in the actual, um, hypnosis, like she talks you like out of your body and like you're floating Uh Uh And then you're going up above your house. And then I was literally like flying in the cosmos. It was dope. (laughs) I need to try this. And I'm also curious about this Thomas person now. Yeah. I want to, maybe I should see if I can like research, like go back to see like industrial revolution, London (laughs) died by throwing himself off a bridge, (laughs) which is also really, that's interesting too. Also, because like, um, I attempted suicide before I came out um, and I, it was going to be by like falling in some body of water. So. Wow. How interesting. And again, that could be my self-conscious, but then maybe. Yeah. Spooky. Yeah. That's crazy. I'm, I've never tried hypnosis. Wow. Words are hard. Hip. How do you say it? Hypnosis. (laughs) Hypnosis. Okay. English is my second language. Hypnosis. 
I've never tried hypnosis, but I would be interested to. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting. What is your first language? It's Cantonese. I mean, it's right. not like I speak that fluently anymore either. So words are just hard sometimes. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> um, how do you like being married? It's great. Um, it's pretty similar as when we were dating, mm-hmm. but everything feels more permanent. Hmm. Like we're really in this shit now, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we, what to say? We went on our honeymoon like a month ago. Mm-hmm. to taiwan we saw suan another suan name drop listen <laughs> um, i'm just gonna title this one dear suan <laughs> that's fine dear suan um, with bianca louis <laughs> yep we ate really great food we went to hong kong um which is where my extended family is so it was a honeymoon and then the first part of it was him meeting my extended family and so it was great because a lot of them couldn't come to our wedding mm-hmm. um, and so, and it was his first time meeting them. And I hadn't seen my grandparents in like four or five years. Oh, um, that's lovely. Yeah. So it was nice. I don't know. Oh. I think I should have more to say about married life, I mean, but like, normal life, I guess. I'm not expecting anything from you. <laughs> like this, this for, like, you know, here's the true tea about this podcast. Two things. Yeah. One, I wanted to like have an excuse to like ask, you know, decently named, like big name authors, like, have a conversation with me because I can like put it out on the internet, but really I just want to like be- make more friends. And so like, for me, like we could literally just be like shooting the shit and I would still, yes. call it, I'd still call it content. It is content. Shooting yeah. the shit is totally content. Oh, do you want to, so I'm starting this other thing very soon. So this is like a good plug. Um, I'm starting this second podcast called decent advice. And it's basically a Q and a podcast. And oh, nice. so people will send in their stuff and I'm going to have me and my friends, get on the line and just fix people's lives. Wow. So you should come back on sometime and we'll, uh, we'll fix people's lives together. Sounds good. That sounds fun. Do you get a lot? Do you get a lot of questions already? Like on your different platforms and forums? Yes, I do. And so rather than trying to answer them one-off emails, I'm going to start answering them on the air. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of the questions are come up over and over again too. Yeah. And so, but I want to do everything from just like dating to sex, dating and sex and love and religion and faith and theology and the Bible and um, friendship, work, you know, the whole nine yards. I want to be like the dear Abby of queer. queer That sounds amazing. I would listen to that. Can't wait. Can't wait. (laughs) Um, well, we're coming up on time and it's time for me to continue to cook my chickens. Oh, yes. Um, so can you tell humans on the internet where they can find you, interact with you, support any work that you might be doing? Oh, yeah. Um, I, my writing is mostly up on Salt Collective. I have more academic writing that's up. Um, you can find me on Twitter. That's probably the easiest, at Beyonks. Um, Beyonce, Beyonce, like Beyonce, but Beyonce. <laughs> um, and on there on Instagram too. So yeah, that's where you can reach me. Um, yeah. I love it. I think you're really, really cool. I'm really, really glad you uh, were able to get this in. Awesome. I think we, we also covered a lot of really cool stuff. Like we were all over the place. We did. We went into the cosmos. 
Into that's the name of the episode. Into the cosmos with Bianca. I love it. That was my conversation with Bianca Mabute Louis. You can catch Bianca all over the internet at Bianks, like she said, and that's spelled B E Y O N K Z on Instagram and on Twitter. You can find her website at BiancaML.com. That's where you can find all of her uh, fancy, you know, academic work. And then you can also check out her other writing over at the Salt Collective, and that's at saltcollective.com. Bianca, thank you so much for being online. I had so much fun revisiting this conversation. It was so fun. Um, Let's chat soon, shall we? A Tiny Revolution is supported by 140 incredible friends of mine, actually, on, on Patreon. Patreon is a really good way to support the creatives in your life that are making content that matters. So if this podcast has been good for you, uh, if you love it, and if you want to see more things, which I've got some like fun new ideas coming up soon, um, become a part of the creative process by getting yourself on uh, on that Patreon game. It's uh, it's everything from like a dollar a month to $25 a month and everything in between. There's sweet perks, there's free t-shirts, there's a Slack channel. Um, it's good stuff. So what, what, what you got? What you been doing? Why, why you been holding out? If you think this work is important, if you want to see more of it, please get yourself over to patreon.com uh, slash the Kevin Garcia and uh, make your pledge today. And thank you in advance for, for supporting. I appreciate it. That's all from me this week. Um, you know, the, again, while Goose Festival is coming up, I'll see you at the Gloriously Queer. Go get your t-shirts from Queerly Beloved. And until next time, my friends, make sure you call your therapist, uh, take your meds, uh, drink some water, um, call a friend who is from uh, the trans community, make sure they're doing good. There's a lot of shit that's been going down recently and our trans um, family need us to rally around them. So make sure you reach out to them. Oh, crrr, I love you. I I think you're stupendous and wonderful and I cannot wait to talk to you again soon. So until next time, this has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. My name is Kevin Garcia and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.